creation and evolution, the credibility of the authenticity of the Bible, DNA, dinosaurs, everything in history having an origin, and why was Jurassic Park 1 so good and 2 and 3 so bad? The things you've heard about God and the Bible in your life and how you can prove them to be true. You're listening to Speak Saul, equipping you to dialogue on today's overlooked topics in and out of the church. So we're talking today about a slew of things. Uh, you'll, You'll be interested in this, those of you who are into any type of apologetics or anything like that. I really want to talk uh, and hit a couple different topics today. And we were talking about the infallibility of the Bible. We're talking about the credibility of the Bible. It seems like the Bible in its authenticity is really being challenged today more than it ever has been before. And we want to get into that a little bit. We have a real special guest today from upstate Oneida, New York, where he currently is is working and he's currently pastoring. But we have Dr. Jack Fucci with us. And Dr. Fucci has a has a, uh, a long intro list, and I won't say everything. I know he wouldn't even want me to, but just a little per- perspective on who he is. Uh, Dr. Jack has a uh, bachelor's degree in computer science. He has a master's degree in apologetics and a PhD in biblical studies. So he is the right he's the right guy for this uh, t- for this podcast episode today. He's he's uh, sat under the teaching and the ministry of some uh, great apologists like Richard Howe, Norman Geisler, familiar household names in the apologetics uh, field, and uh, he he's a, he's also a member of the International Association of Apologists. He's a current professor at IFCA Bible College. So, Dr. Jack, thank you for being with us today and giving us some of your time. Well, thanks for having me, Brother Joe. We're looking forward to it. And as a bonus, I can remember as a little boy driving up to Oneida with my father when he would be, you know, a guest speaker at your church. You're currently pastoring in Oneida. Again, I know you you pastored there years ago. Then you you didn't for many years or you were uh, serving as uh, Bible college professor, Bible college deans. But now you're back up there. So we have a lot of history here. And uh, I know you as Pastor Jack, but you are Dr. Jack today. Well, thank you, brother. You're making me feel very old today right now. <laughs> well, you're certainly not old, and let's get right into it. Uh, this is, this is, this is a to- these topics today that I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pose some questions, I guess, to you. Uh, what we're trying to do on this, this podcast that we call Speak Salt, uh, and if you didn't hear our first episode, go back and download that. It was, it was uh, entitled Uncommon Addictions, uh, and we're, we're, we're really excited about equipping the listener on topics that are inside but also outside of the church. And Dr. Jack, uh, one thing that really stands out to me as a, a young adults pastor, and this has been the case for, for the whole 15 years that I've served in ministry, is there are so many high school students, college-age students, that feel like they're in the minority of, of young people that believe in that believe in something that stand for their faith that believe in their Christian uh, roots and their values they they feel like they're in the minority which is ironic because they say that a third of the of the earth are Christians right so we we shouldn't we shouldn't feel like we're the minority on a lot of these these issues but yet we are and especially where we're broadcasting from here on on the east coast New Jersey it seems even more so so I want to just jump kind of right in and and start with 
maybe the most basic, the most common discussion uh, amongst high school students, college age people, and really worldwide is just the, the ongoing debate of the creation of the world. Uh, evolution is, is the theory of evolution is, is clearly what, what most people buy into and they feel is, is the legitimate argument. Uh, from, from, from your perspective, how can we equip uh, listeners uh, and, and just uh, young people and, and adults alike how can we scientifically, factually uh, debate with, with people that feel this way? And how can, we, how can we confirm that God is the creator of the world? There's a lot to that question. There's um, a, lot, a lot to answer on that. But one of the things people should understand when they start the concept or the, com- the whole conversation about evolution is that People who teach evolution, and, and I also, when I was in Queens College, when I was studying my uh, computer science, um, I was exposed to that uh, as well, and I was not yet a born-again Christian. And at that time, it led me to be very, very confused because I started college believing in God, and I ended up becoming agnostic because of the things I was hearing. So this is a, a topic very dear to me. And the um, thing that's, that people need to understand is that when people speak about evolution, they are actually speaking about macroevolution. There's two kinds of evolution. And when they're speaking about evolution, they, they, are, they are trying to prove macroevolution, which means one species evolved into another. But they only give proof for microevolution, which means species change to adapt to their environment. And so that will show uh, changes in different species. Uh, species over time based on their environment and then they'll say you see evolution's true but the if it's a bird for example the bird is still a bird it just has a different beak that's what uh, Darwin noticed on the Galapagos Islands when he did his study he uh, he he only could see one thing change into another but he never saw species change into another he just saw the species change to adapt to its environment so there is no absolute scientific proof for macroevolution, um, nobody can show a transitional form, which would be a form of one thing becoming another. If, if they, every time in school, I noticed it when I was in college, that when they give you these proofs of evolution, it's always proofs of microevolution, which is true. Uh, species and, and, and beings do adapt to their environment, and, and, they, and through natural selection, um, the, the the weaker die off, the stronger reproduce, so the, the traits of the stronger continue, but the species or the kind never changes. It's kind of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God made everything after its kind, and the Bible actually confirms what we see in, in, um, in the science of it. So this is, is a, it's a, um, a false narrative when they teach evolution. They're really proving micro, but they are trying to say it proves macroevolution. In other words, they prove the, adaptin, the adaptation of a species to its environment, but they don't prove one species becomes another. Right, right. That's, that's great. I was going to add, you jumped, you, you, you read my mind, you jumped ahead. I was going to ask you to go into a little bit of the micro versus macro, and that's so important for, I, would you say that's kind of like the building blocks of this, getting into this discussion? You have to understand what, what you just gave us, uh, micro versus macro? Well, yeah, because <clears throat> this is a trick that's it's like hand quicker than the eye. I mean, these, these people that are, are teaching this in the colleges and filling our young people's minds with this, they are, they're not telling them the truth. And I don't think that 
all of them are intentionally deceiving people. They actually believe this themselves because they were taught it. But if they were challenged to give absolute scientific proof for macroevolution, there's nobody who can do it. They cannot give it. If they're challenged, they will. And they think they could do it until they start to research it because um, we, we, we we're teaching a course right now on this. And um, the author of the textbook was an evolutionist, and now he's a creationist. And he was challenged by his students. Can you show me scientific proof for macroevolution? And he said, oh, sure I can. And then he went and he tried and he realized there was none. But the professors, the professors kind of imply that there is when they teach this in anthropology in the classrooms. So, so, so how can, based on what you just said, that's interesting that you're, you, you said you're working, is it a fellow professor that was, uh, was evolutionist and now creationist? He's the author of the textbook that oh, okay, I'm gotcha. using for my class. So We actually used an Albi, by the way. So how does the listener, and I want to go back for a second before I ask you that question. You said in Queens College is when you started believing in, in God and, and went on your spiritual journey. Were you an atheist before that? No, I was raised Roman Catholic, but, um, but, and I believed in God. I finished 12 years of Catholic school, then went to Queens College and became an agnostic because... Um, I kept hearing all this, well, we evolved, um, and that, well, I, two plus two equals four, and in my mind, if there is, if, if we evolved and there was all by chance, then there must not be a God. I, that was my conclusion, and it was very troubling. Right. A, and that that sense of trouble caused me to search, and that's how I became a Christian, because, uh, a true Christian, before I was just a religious Christian, but I was born again, because I, I pursued truth, and that that led me to being saved. Interesting, um, but, interesting. Yeah, so the, um, now now the whole issue, um, with your other question, you mentioned something about how do we know about creation. So I guess what I'm saying is, how does the, the, the listener, you know, right now, for the, for the listener that maybe is an evolutionist, or uh, the majority probably of the people listening uh, are, are just either confused at worst, or they're not equipped to back up why they believe in creation. So, like the author of the textbook that you're talking about, how does how does the listener scientifically, uh, you know, educationally, how does he or she insist that God is the creator of the world? Well, first of all, you have to start with, if you want to do this in a logical, scientific, mathematical kind of way, um, you you first need to understand that that everything in the universe came from someplace. So uh, you, you, there's a cause to everything. If you look in the universe and you look around you, even in your own little world that we all live in, that everything has a cause. There's, you cannot find anything that came from nothing. Everything comes from something. And there's always something that causes something. For example, your parents caused you, their parents caused them, just as an example. Now the question now is, does this go back infinitely? How far back can this go? Is there a point where it started? And if it started, how could it have started if everything needs a cause? So we, we look at when we're looking at things, we're looking in within the universe that's made up of space, time, and matter. That's that's what that's what the universe is. It's space, time, and matter. So if everything goes 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 back to a cause, and if there's this chain that goes back of this cause this, this cause this, and we can go backwards in time. How far back could it go? Well, it cannot go back forever because right. if it went back forever, you wouldn't be here today because it would take forever to get to today. Hmm. And you can't go across, you can't traverse an infinity. 
because it would take for, for infinity to, to have traversed all that. So there has to be a beginning. It's interesting, the Bible says, in the beginning, that's how it starts. So it, 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 it knows this already. The Bible shows us, it already knows there has to be a beginning. Well, even logically, there has to be a beginning. So the problem then comes in, we say, well, we'll call the first cause God. Okay, we'll just say that for argument. Maybe we don't even know who this God is, but we'll say the first cause is God. Well, then people ask the question, well, what caused God? And that's where the funny part of the answer is, because people are assuming that everything, including the first cause, is part of the universe of space, time, and matter. But the first cause would cause the universe didn't necessarily be in the universe, because there was no universe. So the first cause is of a different nature. And that, we say, is a uncaused cause, because you cannot go back forever. So there has to be a cause that was never caused. And that would have to be of a different nature than than everything else that we know. Am I? Are you losing this, or am I okay? Am I being clear? I think it's great. I think it's. I think it's rich. I think it's. It makes sense. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially young people who grew up with uh, creation being one of their core values, is maybe just out of tradition or something they were taught in Sunday school or something their parents believe, but there's not really a scientific backing for that. In today's generation, they're not going to believe things or especially forget believe them. They're not going to go to bat for them. They're not going to go public with these convictions if they truly don't believe it's fact in their heart. So uh, what you're saying is great. It's good stuff. I think it's, I think it's valuable, but please, please, uh, please continue your thought. All right, so if the, um, the first cause is un, has to be uncaused. Now, this is, this is just mathematics, too. I mean, even in mathematics, you, you cannot traverse in, in infinity. You can only approach infinity in, in calculus. That's often what, what's spoken of. When, when I was a computer science major, I was also a math minor. So we used to do math simulations on computer. And you can never actually reach infinity. That's a mathematical fact. So... Um, so you can't go backwards to infinity either, because if you went backwards in time, you can never get to where we are. So you follow that, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because then it would have taken forever to get here. You can't go forever. All right, so there's a first cause. So we start with that idea. The universe came from someplace. Now, if you ask an evolutionist, how did the universe begin? Their answer is, we don't know. And they have speculations, and, and they talk about the Big Bang and all that. but but now they're looking at there is a, a beginning. Even, even science is recognizing that. But besides that, that's, that's a causality. That's cause. Something caused everything in the universe. The second thing that we look at is the design in the universe. Now, people, um, we were talking about this in our class on evolution, and I, and I asked my students, I said to them, I'm, I'm going to show you some things. I want you to look at them. So I gave them a bunch of plain rocks. And I said, do you think anything, anybody made this or what? And they said, no, it's just a plain rock. Then I took out some things I found in my backyard in Oneida. And on Oneida, this is an Indian area, American Indian, uh, Native American area. So I had found a couple of Indian, what we call Indian arrowheads, okay? But I didn't tell them what they were. I just handed them to the students and let them all see these. And I said, are those just plain rocks? And they said, no, these are, these are arrowheads. I said, did, did those things just happen by chance, like the rain and the, 
the weather beating on it. They said, no, you can clearly see somebody worked on this. I said, do you know who that person is? And they said, no, it's probably an Oneida Indian, but you wouldn't know who that person is. But you do know somebody did that, right? So then I pulled out a toy fire truck, and I said, do you think this thing just came about by itself, or was it designed? And they all agreed it was designed. Then I took out some other toys and other things, a watch, and a laptop computer. Did these things just happen by chance? No. All right, so you can, by observation, which is a scientific method, you can determine what has design in it and what doesn't. Then I had that, uh, uh, one of the students come and stand in front of the class. I said, is this, is this um, person here, was this person by chance or design? And they just laughed. I said, which one's more complicated, this fire truck or this human being? So my, my point is this, that besides everything having to be caused, we see design in, in the universe. There is design. You can calculate where the moon will be at any particular time. It's mathematical precision. You can tell, how else did they land a man on the moon? How else do they do space travel? So, so the universe operates in order. Of course, now the evolutionists say everything came about by chance, but chance does not produce order. Actually, that's a violation of, of physical laws of physics. Chance does not produce order. Order tends to break down into disorder. Just look at, right. look at how you have to dust your house. Look at how you, you can't, you can't, if things, you could break things a lot easier than you can make them. So this is the, um, the evolutionists have that going against them is that their very, their very theory says that things went from disorder to order. That's contrary to what we see scientifically. Absolutely. And, and by the way, I can vividly remember, like vividly, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but my memory serves me well. And I can vividly remember being in Oneida. I couldn't have been more than seven, eight years old. And you telling me, there, you're, if you look really hard, you'll find an arrowhead. And I oh, remember yeah? for, for hours scathing <laughs> the area and never finding an arrowhead. So I'm still a little offended about that. But <laughs> I felt like I was lied to. But I know that was really cool, the idea of finding an arrowhead. But I, I remember you telling me a couple of years back, I guess it's more than a couple at this point, but when I was uh, a student in Bible college, and actually you taught this course, I can remember you telling myself and the other students, and this is the thought that you just uh, ended on uh, a minute back with what you were saying, that science doesn't contradict the Bible. Uh, science confirms the Bible and vice versa. So I think there's a lot of people out there that, and this is going to segue right into our next question uh, about the Bible and the authenticity from a historical and factual a manuscript, but but a lot of people I think in this in the scientific realm, or or maybe not even people in the scientific realm, but people that just are not educated on on the matter, they just assume it's science against the Bible, and that's really not not the case. Is that am I right in saying that? Well, we as we have said previously, and I think we need to make this point that the evolution science that that they call science is really a, a system of faith because nobody was there and no one could observe evolution happening because nobody's ever seen it. You can't even see it today. If if it was true, you should see transitional forms everywhere. You should see so many of them, but they can't even find one. They call it the missing link because it's missing. They can't find it. Right. There is no link between one one kind of, of creature to a, a brand new creature. Right. Right. So so when you talk about science, we're talking about a method 
of observation. We're talking about a method of hypothesis. We're talking about um, a, a very a method of, of things you can study and examine and even reproduce in a scientific experiment. What I did with those young people, well, they're, they're not all young people, but the people in my class recently, was when I handed out all these things, um, they these arrowheads and the rocks and the, and the toys and all, they were basically doing science because they were observing something and coming to a conclusion. You can't do that in evolution. So there's basically two theories of, of origins. The origin that came through evolution, which is really, they're talking about macroevolution, which would have to be true for it to be a work, which we find no evidence of it. And the other one is creation. And so until, until they came up with the idea of evolution, or they, they tried to postulate an idea that would be um, viable or believable, they, they only had one explanation of, well, actually two. One was that God created everything, or the universe was eternal. It always existed. But if it always existed, we run back into that problem of going backwards in time for infinity, and it doesn't work. Right. So... So then we, we are left, they were only left with God created everything. And so Darwin wanted to come up with a way of explaining origins without God. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what many people wanted to do. So when we talk about um, issues like this, Brother Joe, it's not just about science, though, because the real issue is not an intellectual one. People think it is. People try to pretend it is. But the real problem people have is moral. It has to do with morality because people have a problem accepting God made everything because if he did and the Bible's true, then there's accountability right. and somebody's going to judge us one day. And that's what people, that frightens them because they don't understand the love of God. Now, to get back to your point, your question about the Bible's authenticity, the first thing you have to understand before you can try to talk to somebody about the Bible being authentic, because if it is, then it's what it claims it is, and it claims to be the very Word of God. So if it's the Word of God, a person who doesn't accept there is a God cannot accept there's a Word of God, nor can he accept that there's a Son of God. So one thing that has to first be understood is that or belief in God is reasonable and intellectually honest. It's not something that's like the spaghetti monster, as I heard one critic call well, I might as well believe in the Easter Bunny or some. It's nothing like that because there must be a first uncaused cause. You can call that first uncaused cause God or an, a, a being of some kind. Well, some will say it was just a force, but yet we see intelligence in the design of the universe, including now in the cells of each of us. Right. In, in each cell, they're seeing such design of things that Darwin had no idea about. Second of all, in each cell, there is what's called DNA, and DNA is actual program that re when we reproduce, it, it, it carries this program from one generation to the next. Information, as a computer science major, I know this, information has to come from someplace. And the logic that makes it work has to come from someplace. Having programmed computers a computer is a simple thing when you compare it to a human body, but a computer takes a lot of thinking in order to make it work right when you're programming it. So um, things don't work by themselves. If they 
If you have one mistake that's potential in a computer program, it's going to crop up, and it does. It's called a bug in the program. We have um, such intricate programming within us, it shows intelligent design. So the first thing people have to understand, that there is a God. And, you know, in the Bible, it confirms that. Hebrews eleven six says, he that, without faith, it's impossible to please God, and he that comes to God must believe that he is, or that he exists. That's the first step. Now, here's my point. You say, well, you might say, well, you mentioned faith. Faith isn't science. Well, evolutionists have faith. They have to have faith because what they're saying is they believe this. Or when they use the word believe, they're saying they have faith. So it takes faith, and here's my point, it takes faith for both forms of origins, both theories, whether the, the evolution, macroevolution, or creationism, one has to have faith in either case. I know there are people who say, I don't have faith, I just have science. That is a deception. They, they have great faith because they believe in a lot of things without scientific proof. Right. This is a, I mean, this is a great spin. And by the way, my, thir my head is thoroughly spinning right now. Not, not spinning because I'm not absorbing. It's just I feel like I'm talking to a magic eight ball right now. You know, you, you have all the answers in life. And this is just really, really good stuff. But I love the spin you put on that because I wanted to hit it from – I just got back from Israel, as you know, uh, last uh, March. And going out there and being a part of the geographical location of, of, of the Bible, everything came to life. And it's like, oh, wow, it was that light bulb moment. Like, okay, this, is, this all makes sense now. I believed it. But now it all makes sense. But not everybody's because you see you see the actual locations of what you've you've learned about and heard about and read about your whole life. But most yeah. people don't have that that chance to do that. And they're 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 over here in, in America or all different other parts of you know the world and especially in this Western culture. And they're kind of just believing these things because it's been passed down. You know, it's tradition. It's what their their families believe. But I wanted to, to take the posture of, with that question, how can we say that the manuscripts of the Bible, how can we look at it as a factual, reliable source, as a history book? But you're saying, well, really, you have to, it goes back to God. If you're not going to believe in a God, then you'll never believe in, in the Word of God. So I guess it goes back to that, but that's a great, I, and I appreciate the answer, but how about from the, from the historical uh, reliable source perspective. How how can we how can we say that the writings of the Bible are in fact you know, they they happen? They were the inspired words of God over the course of thousands of years ago, not just something that somebody put together uh, a couple hundred years ago. Well, there's a lot of a lot of answer to that, but the um, but it goes back to what I said before too um, about first you got to you know if if the Bible was is true, which I believe it is, of course then it speaks about God. So, so that's, the, that's the thing. And, my, and, and I mentioned before that the problem is not intellectual as much as moral. And the reason I say that is, uh, getting to your question, is that when you look at the Bible and you, ex and you go back and you look at the evidence for its manuscript, um, manuscript authenticity, what you'll find is that the Bible, and this is a fact, the Bible, is the most authentic, authentic ancient document and provable 
than any other document in his in ancient history. The, the Bible is an ancient book, obviously, um, and it goes back very far. But you see, the um, the thing about the manuscripts is there's so much more manuscript evidence for the Bible than any other. Not, nothing comes close to the Bible as far as the number of manuscripts, the quality of the manuscripts, and that and that thing that is studied by archaeologists and textual critics. Then why do, then, his, and if that's true, which it is, why do so many people come against and attack its credibility more than any other book on earth? Well, that was what I was going to say. You see, when you um, when when you look, they know they don't bother to worry about Aristotle's writings, and there's not a. I mean, the the I, I have a I in my class I show a diagram of of the number of manuscripts for these ancient documents, and then the Bible, and not only that, how old those documents are in relation to the person's life that that wrote them. So the Bible not only is num numerically have many, many more manuscripts, but the, the ones that we have are clo very close. Some of the oldest ones are very close to the, to the apostles and, the, and that time period. So when, when, when we look at that, we have to question, first of all, why would you question or a person question the Bible, but they don't question Plato, they don't question Aristotle, they don't question any of these others, like the Iliad and the, and the Odyssey and these other ancient Greek writings, those things do not even have come close to the authenticity of the of the New Testament, particularly or the Old Testament. So that's my first question: is why do you doubt the Bible? First of all, second of all, you might doubt the Bible because, and this is usually what people's problem is: they'll they'll use this as their argument, and they'll say the reason they doubt it is because they can't believe that the Red Sea parted. They can't believe the miracles of the Bible, in other words. They can't believe that Jesus walked on water. You know, that's, that's, that's so hard to believe. And that brings us back to the point concerning the creation again. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I said earlier that that is confirmed by the reasons that I gave you. The causality, the design, okay, and that there had to be a first cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is the testimony of the first verse of the Bible. And here's what Dr. Geisler always told us. If the first verse of the Bible is believable, if you can believe that verse, then all the other miracles in the Bible are small compared to that miracle. Because to create the universe from nothing is the biggest miracle of all. So the real question is, is do you have a problem with miracles or do you have a problem with morality? Now, Besides the manuscript evidence, there is also the prophetic of how the Bible has shown itself to be true in the prophetic realm. I mean, who would have ever thought that 2,000 years ago somebody could say that there's going to be a mark one day that nobody could buy or sell unless they have this mark on their right hand or forehead? Where would you get that idea? And back in those days, they didn't even have, like, like mechanical things we have today, never mind the the computers and the scientific ability or the technology to actually implement some, something like that. I just saw an article my daughter sent me that now they're putting chips on the, and people are voluntarily taking these chips and having them implanted in them. Yeah, I, I saw think that. it was in, yeah, and, and so that is obviously doable. Now, how did that get predicted? And not to mention all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus that came to pass in his first coming, and also the um, 
that there are 40 different authors approximately in the Bible, and they all confirm each other, and they wrote it at different times. So how could you even get 40 people together to agree about anything? Okay, so that. And secondly, it, it just, it just um, speaks about the nature of human beings. When you, when you go read the Bible, it doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't hide anything. It, does, it obviously wasn't written to appeal to human, human nature because people reject it for that reason, because it calls us sinners. The question is, who would have written this book and then claimed it was God's word when it wasn't? For all these years, it's called the Holy Bible, the good book, and yet people think it's full of lies. How right. is a good book full of lies? Yeah, that's, so, I, I tell you, it's amazing stuff. It's, 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 it's unbelievable stuff that you're saying. We're, we're, I, have, I have several more questions, but we're running out of time, so we'll have to do a part two one day. But I do want to ask you two last questions and maybe you can just answer uh, them quickly if you can uh, so so we can fit them in and if the second question the first question is a little more simple if the second question is too loaded and we have to save it for for a continuation that's fine but this is kind of a this is kind of a, a funny one but I'm a huge one of my favorite movies is Jurassic Park I love the 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 movies I don't know if you've seen them I think there's four and yeah, and I, I mean, the first one is just, you know, it's considered one of the greatest films, really, uh, in the history of cinema. And then the second two, I think I could have directed and produced them better than they were. But, you know, that first <laughs> one and then the most recent ones are really cool. What is up with these dinosaurs? I mean, we know that they're real. We've found the fossil. Like, what's that big T-Rex? I think it was in Kentucky that was that is the most famous one or somewhere out there that was discovered. Uh, but but why you know why would why would they have gone extinct? This is this is more of the one of the fun questions uh, from from Christians. But do you have any insight on that? Well, I I think I do. Um, first of all, the word dinosaur means terrible lizard. That's what it means. So uh, dinosaur is basically a reptile, and it's a uh, um, we still have reptiles today. So you believe dinosaurs were like were in the Bible? You believe they were they were they were you believe they were on the earth? I do, and I'll tell you what what I believe about that. You know, I've ever noticed that uh, we have to turn to the Bible for this answer now, um, because I mean we could turn to um, you know evolutionists for this, but I, I'm going to turn to the Bible for this answer because that's really what I believe in now. I believe in the Bible, and the Bible tells me that there was this huge flood, and that God had Noah build an ark. I know some people think that's ridiculous because they don't believe in God and they don't believe in miracles, but but here's the thing. The world was destroyed by a huge flood, okay? And, and I think that that's even scientifically shown that there is, uh, well, I won't go into the details, but, but okay, a huge flood destroyed everything, okay? Now, according to the Bible, God preserved people and animals on the ark. Now, prior to the, the flood, you read in your Bible, and you'll notice that people lived a lot longer. And here's, here's the thing that, that, that I think about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are lizards that continue to grow over long, long, long periods of time. Because from what I understand is that, that reptiles like lizards and, and, and what we would call dinosaurs, they actually grow their whole life. They don't, they're not like humans. We stop growing at a certain age. They continue to grow throughout their lifetime. So as they continue to grow, they would get very huge, wouldn't they? Especially if they lived a thousand years, or they lived eight hundred years, or nine hundred years. It, it says, and I believe it. It says in the Bible that people lived hundreds and hundreds of years before the flood. Then after the flood, everything 
changed. Things were different. And there's some theories about why. It had something to do with a, 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 a canopy of water that covered the earth. And, and, and even the fact that they found like palm trees in, in, the, in the North Pole area, it, it, it um, confirms it. The earth wasn't always like it is. Right, so right. And people, some, some people listening might might think, well, you're talking about some Christians that are, are listening or people that are educated in the Bible might say, well, you're talking about Noah and he was he was at the beginning of of the book of Genesis. But and we don't certainly don't have time to go into this now, but we don't know how many thousands of years that was before him. We don't even know if the seven days that God created the war, the, the earth in was literal 24 hour days. Uh, there's theories where there was thousands of years in between in between the days right so this makes sense what what you're saying absolutely is not off the deep end this could it could very well have been a long long period of time before noah and the flood well it's not even that it's just that things live longer even i mean if you if you take a lizard that could live if a lizard today could live five 500 years it would get very big right so so that's 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 the explanation I have. So basically, like I said, dinosaur means a terrible lizard. That's what the word means. So they are huge. They were big, and you know. So there are still lizards today. Now, can, that, okay, can, can can you can you commit? Because we're 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 in overtime right now, and this is a loaded question. And you probably would, and I would love to to hear you go into detail. But I'm I'm hoping you'll come back for, as a as a guest in a second episode in the near future. But can you give us a, a quick answer on, on the question that so many people, uh, atheists and, and people that just don't profess Christian faith and really are turned off by it, a lot of the, the times you hear, why, should I be, why would I believe in a religion? Why would I believe in a God that, that has 30, over 30,000 different viewpoints in denominations in in the church i personally don't think that it was god's uh intent and it was his will for us to have all these different sects and denominations in the church today i believe man did that but but that's that's i mean when you think about it yes a third of a third of the earth's population claim christianity but there's over thirty thousand different sects and 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 denominations that that has branched off in so just just give us your quick opinion on that, and then we will we'll close for the day. Well, here's the, here's the, the basic answer to that. Is you may have different denominations, but that doesn't mean we have a different faith. A lot of the de- denominations, um, their core faith is the same across all of them. Some have just different emphasis, but that's one side. That would be like the evangelical church. Those in evangelical Christianity pretty much believe the same fun, fundamental teachings. It's not about an organization. It's about faith in Christ and the Bible. Now, there are so so many others that here's the problem. Those who are, are branched off into all different things, it, it's a variation of their faith in the scriptures. It goes back to that again. So if, if people, for example, there are liberal denominations and there are conservative ones, like even today, recently, there was an, on Facebook, you could see that there were those that were blessing the Planned Parenthood and all that. Um, that's something I would never do. And so where did they get there? Because they have a problem with miracles. It goes back to the 1800s. I mean, this whole thing about modernism and liberalism and, and all that. That has produced a lot. So the real core value is we're not asking people, and nobody should ever ask people to join a denomination. We're asking them to follow Jesus Christ. Right. And that's the key 
to it all. And those who follow Jesus Christ and are born again, they are really part of one church. The, the scripture makes it clear. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism in Ephesians chapter 4. And so it's, it's clearly just one church. Those, there are people who are in that church that call themselves Christians, and there are people who are not even in that church who call themselves Christians. They don't even believe in God. They don't even, they, some of these denominations will talk more about the universe being God instead of a personal God. They're not even theists. So it, you can't just judge things that way. One has to look to Christ and look to the scriptures and find the truth. That's what I would tell somebody. Seek the Lord and the truth. Unbelievable stuff. This is this is great. I hope you've I hope you've enjoyed listening. Listen in the near future. We're gonna have to continue this. I don't know when one will get around to being able to record a second episode, but we'll answer other questions uh, that that will equip you to to answer some of the things you've heard. Like why would a God in the Old Testament be so violent versus the New Testament? Uh, why does a loving God send people to hell? Uh, why does God allow bad things to happen? These are all things that we hear from atheist perspectives and atheist worldviews, and uh, we're, we're gonna we'll have to to entice Doctor Jack to come back and, and answer some of those questions. But uh, this is great stuff. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, go out there and be be equipped through things like this, through tools that God has given us to not just believe something because someone else told you to believe it, but go out there and go to bat for your faith. Because you have the facts behind it, because uh, God's word makes sense and it's true, and it and science proves the Bible, just like we talked about today. It's good stuff. We'll see you next time on Speak Salt. Mm-hmm.